Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. I'm really passionate about bringing healthcare topics that are not commonly discussed to Healthcare 360's best and brightest. Today's by far no exception. I'm happy to introduce a Dayton and intimacy coach who empowers people about sexuality. Welcome, LA native Jocelyn Silva, who can be found at jocelynsilva.com. That's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-S-I-L-V-A.com. What is unique about Jocelyn is how she can easily explain what many may find to be taboo, if not for most of us, and therefore empowering us moving forward. Jocelyn and I discuss the differences between shame and guilt, how the roles of a therapist and coach complement each other, and she gives us insight into the queer community. Jocelyn explains gender identity, gives examples how to create safe spaces, which is especially important for us who are parents. We even talk about porn and orgasms. This conversation is detailed, graphic at times, and I hope you will step into our authenticity and join us and continue to bring this conversation to light. From all of us at Healthcare 360 Media, we wish you all the health, strength, and resilience. Thank you for being a part of Healthcare 360's Best and Brightest. Hey everybody, this is Scott Burgess again, and we have another episode of Healthcare 360. Today, we have an atypical conversation, or what most people would think of an atypical conversation, but a conversation that needs to be had more frequently. So I want to introduce everyone to Jocelyn Silva. She is an intimacy, sexual health, and wellness educator. She's been doing that for the last eight years, so she has a lot of experience, but it doesn't end there. She's actually felt this way and has been motivated in this path of her life since she's been a young girl. She had a really elegant way of portraying where we are with our own sexuality and acceptance and topic points like that. What really resonated with me the most was that she's just very open and honest. Uh, A little bit more about her. uh, She's always focused on empowering people about their sexualities. She talked about shame the other day with me in a different podcast that I had had. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, hey, what's this whole shame thing about? And she explained it in a way that I never heard or understood it before. And it really just brought a new light to the topic. Without further ado, Jocelyn, welcome to the show. So hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, I'm, my yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very excited to have this conversation. And I really appreciate the invitation. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Part of being in a very religious household, especially of Latin descent, there was a lot of shame and guilt around expressing my own sexuality. So I grew up with the message of just don't do it, don't have sex. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in school, all the education around sexuality was always around, these are all the STDs that you might get. Best way to not get an STD is just to not have sex completely, which literally tells you nothing. I mean, might yeah. as well say, if you'd never want to get the flu, never leave your house. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> I mean Which is not true, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like that notion of just don't do it. You know, just right, it's right. dirty. It's, it's ugly. It's sinful. Don't do it. Randomly asked me like, hey, do you want to be part of this collective named Coochie Los Angeles? They're a collective of queer and trans uh, people of color that were doing some really great sex education in low-income communities. And so they were training individuals to be a part of this program. And so I signed up for it. I got into it. And that's when I decided, oh my gosh, I need to spread the word on sexual empowerment just to talk about sexuality in the way that is free of shame and guilt. I think a lot of people that do identify like me, feel a lot of guilt and shame and don't really feel like their body is theirs and don't really feel like their sexuality is theirs. How would you define yourself? 
I identify as queer and what queer means to me is that gender is not really a thing. I am attracted to human beings, whatever the gender may be. He became a sexual wellness and intimacy coach. Mm -hmm. Why? That's a great question. It's a simple Um, question. Yeah, yeah. I figured out what my why is and my why is that I want to empower women, but I think people in general to embrace their sexuality, to learn about their own bodies, their bodies that they're living in this world with, you know, this mm-hmm. one life that they have and to own it and to embrace it and not be shameful about it. You mentioned in some pre-podcast conversations with me that, again, that word pops up, some shame. Yeah. What did you experience in that shame feeling? What did it make you do as a person? Did it just make you close up? What were some of the thoughts that went through when you were feeling shame? But then how did you break out of it? What was the once kind of snap, if you will, that made you break out of, hey, I don't have to be shameful. What am I doing? I'm wasting all this time and effort when I could be exploring my body, my sexuality, and my relationships, really, when it comes down to it. So we talked about frequencies and and synchronicity. You know, it's funny. I haven't experienced shame in a long time, and I actually experienced a little bit of shame this morning. And I think that the universe was like, you need to feel this a little bit so you can remember what this feels like so you can explain it. They knew that I was going to ask you. (laughs) That was so crazy. I'm not going to get into that. But feeling that recently now, I know it's like this reminder. Shame for me is this overwhelming sensation that I am bad, that what I'm doing is bad. I want to hide under a rock. I don't want anyone to see me. Shame can rob you of a lot of experiences in life. It most certainly can. It literally can destroy your spirit if you allow it to. The moment that I realized, oh my God, I have a lot of shame attached to sexuality, what really has helped me worked through the shame. And I also, I just want to make a distinction that there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something wrong and shame is I am wrong. A lot of people understand what that difference um, is. Brene Brown talks a lot about it. I highly recommend listening to some of her lectures because she goes deeper into that distinction. Yeah. But I think a lot of people don't understand the, the difference. But shame is a very, very powerful, powerful, powerful emotion. Yeah. Even that connection between the two, between guilt and shame, what you just explained is profound, just understanding in general. Yeah. So I have my daily gratitude practice, which if you don't have one, recommend everyone get one. Gratitude practices, even just writing three things you're grateful about every single day is incredible. It does wonders to your mindset and to your life something in my head that I say to myself, I'm so grateful that I was able to experience. You know, you say, oh, I'm grateful for my clean drinking water. I'm grateful for food. I'm grateful for a shelter. I'm grateful for this life, for waking up this morning. But what if you express gratitude for your body? What's been your best example of a client where you've helped them break free from either shame or I really identify themselves in their sexuality both on the male and the female side. I don't mean to categorize them because I know we had a big conversation when we first started the podcast yeah. <laughs> and, and non-categorization. Let's just start there for now and then we'll, we'll break it open. I have two. Can I share two? Of course. Yeah. Okay. The first one I want to talk about is when I worked at the Sexual Health and Wellness Boutique. People would come in at that time. There were customers because they were shopping at the store, but I would help them out. There was this transgender woman She was probably like 18. She was very young. She came in and the first time she came in, her body was clenched up, petrified to be in there. So I started talking to her and I said like, hey, like, what's your name? And, you know, just started kind of opening up. And 
she started talking about the fact that she's dating someone and feels kind of nervous and she didn't buy anything that day, which is fine because that wasn't my purpose. My purpose is just to create a safe space for individuals. And she left and it was like this beautiful experience. After that, she would come in maybe like once every two weeks and then it started happening once a week. After a few months, she went from don't talk to me to hello, how is everybody? How are you? It was like, who are you? It was so cool to see her step into her authenticity and to see her literally, I can see the shame melting off of her. And this beautiful, radiant, confident woman coming out of her. And after a while, she did say, she's like, this store is my safe haven. Because sometimes she would just come in and hang out for like an hour and just talk. And then the second experience I had was actually in my now coaching. It has been an incredible experience. Uh, He's older. I think he's over 50 and was talking about his sexuality in the way that he's never expressed to anybody before. He was dealing with some shame around the fact that he is bisexual. And the first time he spoke to me, literally couldn't get words out. So embarrassed, so shameful. After, I think, about four sessions, I started hearing how the words started rolling off his tongue. And I can also hear a smile on his face. Because there's a difference between talking and there's a difference between like when you're smiling and talking, you can hear that smile. That's really cool. It was just so beautiful to be able to see, and it's not to say that the shame and the embarrassment isn't completely gone, but that is the process, right? And and Brené Brown actually talks about that, that the antidote to shame is talking about it. Mm-hmm. Speaking your shame kills shame. It's just beautiful to see how people can transform from just complete and utter fear and go to acceptance and loving and enjoying and having fun. That's really cool. That's actually amazing that you actually saw someone in a transformative state come right out. And one, just congratulations to you that they came out and they started talking to you openly about that accomplishment right there. They found themselves more confident in their own skin at yeah. the same time, which is nice. What's a typical day look like in the office for you? They may come in with shame. They may come in shy. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the things you start to break down right away to get them more comfortable so they can start to express whether it's a healing process or the opening process? Yeah, it's a great question. Honestly, it's it's very, very simple. The first thing when I speak to someone, I say, how can I help you? Why do you want to work with me? What's going on? So people will start expressing the things that they're fearful of or they want to work on, they want to improve on the issues that they've been having. Creating a safe space is not difficult. The best way to be able to create a safe space with someone especially when they come from a place of fear, anxiety, embarrassment, and shame, is to normalize everything that they're saying. Oh, I went to the grocery store today. You're going to be like, oh, cool. Right. What'd you get? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Really? Automatically, you've killed that safe space. But if you respond with, cool, why? Tell me more about that. And you just normalize it. And you prod and and you ask questions and you want to know more about it. And you're curious. That is what builds confidence when I work with my clients. I I feel like you just answered the number one question of how parents can create an unsafe space by Mm -hmm. not being open. Mm -hmm. And it just blocks out that curiosity. Absolutely. Right. And also, you don't even have to say anything. Mm. It can be in your facial expressions. 
these facial expressions say a million words. Yeah, they do. And it really is just having that awareness of how can I create the safe space for you? And even though I might think, oh, that's interesting. That's, I've never heard that before, but I'm not going to show that to you because what the moment I do, I'm breaking that safe space where mm-hmm. now you're not going to open up to me because you don't feel safe with me. I just wanted to throw this out there because I think it's, I'm very passionate about this. I don't like to make generalizations with gender. I know a lot of individuals here. Why do women this? And why do men that? Gender sexuality is much more complex than people believe. Not all women have vaginas. Not all men have penises. But I think that at the core of why people in general Yes, it's true that the way that women are conditioned in this society make it difficult for them to explore their sexuality, not taking the time to get to know their bodies. You can be authentic to be able to learn how to embrace our sexualities in a way that we have a healthy relationship with our bodies. Feel great about it. I want to go back to something that you said just a few minutes ago. And I don't know if you can go into the science of it or not. and Don't feel like you have to by any means, but not all men and women have the proper anatomy. You explained it better than I did. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Right. There's a difference between gender and sex. Okay. So sex is male and female, right? That has to do with our chromosomes. That has to do with what was in between our legs when we were born. Male, female. Gender, however, is how we choose to express ourselves to the outside world and the expectations that society has placed on the sex. So for example... I was born female, which means my gender is woman. Me, Jocelyn, I align my sex with my gender. I feel comfortable in that. Therefore, I identify as cisgender. However, when I say that there are women that don't have vaginas and men that don't have penises, I mean that for the transgender community specifically, when your gender is a man, right, and you are a trans person, and you, like you said, you're not born with that penis, Whenever you're having this conversation around, oh, women this and men that, you're excluding this whole group of individuals that don't fall into that sex gender ideology. Another reason why I'm so big on understanding your body, you want to make sure that you're being gender affirming so that it is in alignment with the person's gender identity. I see that. I'm trying to think where to go from there. I hope, I, I hope, I, I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, it does. It does. To be honest, I don't want to say I sit here and understand all that. You, frankly, have conditioned a lot of this to me as we started going through. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring it up into the podcast, because I've heard and seen a lot of topics around it. And I'm like, what is that? Let me dig deep. Like I normally do, I'm looking for people who know how to explain it well and articulate it well. So people actually have a good, comfortable feeling by the time we're done with the conversation. And I think that it's important because we're living in a day and age now where, yes, the the LGBTQ community is still a marginalized community, but there's more access to gender affirming therapy, a little more acceptance in society for that community. So what I'm concerned with is, great, you are expressing yourself in the gender that you feel comfortable with. Now, how can we get you to experience sexuality in a way that feels great for you in the body that you're in? Right. That is an issue that a lot of people in the queer community deal with. How much of this has to do with their parents or just their family members? And you suggest to them they go back and have a conversation with them and face that fear. I'm sure it could be fearful. I don't know if it's fearful. Are you encouraging them to say, hey, look, you need to have an open conversation with them? I can imagine that not a lot of people are open to that. 
they're closed-minded. Are you talking about in terms of coming out? Well, more about after coming out. More about, hey, you need to get over yourself and you need to accept me for me. First and foremost, I would say it is up to everyone whenever they're ready to be able to express that to their family. It's not fair to tell someone, hey, you need to come out now. <laughs> you know, right. everyone will do it in their time. There are individuals that come out when they're 10. There's some that come out when they're 60. Right. It really just depends on whenever the person's ready. As, as a person who identifies as queer, it's not my responsibility to force my family and my friends to accept me. I, I wouldn't say I, I, I wouldn't say force, mm-hmm. but to get them recognize you and see you for who mm-hmm. you are, be seen, felt, and heard. But that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. So when those conversations need to happen, that they're seen, felt, and heard as mm-hmm. themselves in their individual body, what does that look like? There could be a lot of hesitation there because not everyone accepts that. I'll talk about my personal story. So my brother is gay. A couple years ago. My mom found out that my brother was gay a very, very long time ago, and it was kind of like this thing that was ignored. And a couple years ago, when I started dating my partner, I think that my mom kind of had a suspicion, was like, okay. When things started to become serious with my partner, I said, okay, I need need to tell my mom this friend is not actually my friend, you know, they're, they're my partner. So I sat her down, and we talked about it, and I told her, and she said, I know I've been going to therapy for the past six months because I had a feeling about it. I love you and I accept you. And what that experience taught me is that I think it's, it's not fair to like, I I know what you're saying about the whole, like get over yourself and, and, you know, just accept, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to push someone out of their comfort zone right away. The best way to go about those conversations is to one, do your research to definitely go to therapy, talk to a therapist who can explain to you, like, what does it mean to be queer? What does it mean to be trans? What does it, what do these things mean? And then three, once that child is ready to come out to you, you have now the tools to create a safe space to accept whatever that child is going to tell you. Right. Because it's all about our inner work, right? Breaking through our own shame around sexuality. How do I feel about that community, right? And I know that a lot of the things that parents talk about is the sadness because, oh, I don't want my child to have a difficult life and I don't want my child to suffer. And that's understandable. But the best way to aid that person, to aid that child in that process is to offer them a safe space, then when the world does reject or ridicule, right, as society tends to do, you know that they're able to come into your arms and that they will be safe in your arms. Right. And that further also teaches them, oh, there are people in this world that will love me and accept me how I am. That's powerful. Because if you don't have that at home and then you don't have that out in the world, if you're a child, you're like, oh my God, you know, who am I? Why do I even belong in this world? Right. But if you're able to teach them, like, I love you the way you are, and others will too, it really allows for that openness and that safe space. But I think it's important for the person themselves to do that work first. The reason why I'm asking all these questions is because mm-hmm. I'm sure there are parents out there who need to see an example of tolerance and acceptance yeah. Yeah. and knowing how to... I don't want to say this in the, not the correct context, but guide into that comfortable feeling of, hey, this is who I am. And so they're accepting 
so they can get more information out so there's that better, tighter relationship long-term. If this is more about tolerance and more about mm-hmm. acceptance, embrace someone with open arms. Yeah. And again, this particular topic, I don't know many people who are having it. Yeah. Which is exactly why I was like, on the show, let's go right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about different sexual explorations? If you look at the numbers, pornography has tripled and quadruples as far as its bottom line revenue mm-hmm. year after year for the last decade. So I, mm-hmm. I did a little research before and I'm like, oh my, the numbers are staggering. What I don't particularly like, this is more about parents, not about the sex industry itself, but there's 11-year-old, 12-year-old kids getting access to pornography. Talk about that real quick and specifically how parents can help mitigate that risk, uh, if you know any answers to that, or at least the conversations they had. The one thing that I saw that that was extremely powerful Mm -hmm. was an adult film actress. This is on primetime TV. It was a commercial. It was an ad. She said, look, you better have a conversation with your children about sex or I will. It just stuck with me. I was like, it's probably one of the best commercials I've ever seen. And all she was doing was sitting on a chair. And she said, this is what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? Are you going to beat me to the punch? They identified the issue. So what can parents do? Pornography exists. Right. Children are getting curious about it. You got to put some limits and boundaries and you got to be okay with having this conversation. You know, I wish, and I'm not sure if this is a thing. I, I thought about this. It would be really cool if cell phone companies had like a child lock that they can put. And, and hopefully I think they probably in the future will come out with this. I'll, I'll tell you what we do. We put the apps on our phones for our kids. Uh, what I, was, I guess I was asking a little bit more is what can parents do from that conversation? Not every kid has those programs on their phone or their yeah. applications. Yeah. So all they need to do is say, hey, look at this, lean over. And then all of a sudden they're seeing something that you work so hard to try to protect them from, right? Right. Before I talk about that, I just quickly want to say that with all media, even though we don't really think about this, all media is biased. Oh, Everything of on TV, right? From what is it like democracy now to Fox 11, right? To news stations, but they're biased, right? They have their own ideologies. Pornography is biased. I mean, usually what we see like the dismembered men and we only see like the penis but then we see like the woman so i think the first thing is to acknowledge the sex that the pornography is biased even though we're thinking oh okay yeah they're they're what they're looking at pornography they're going to quote unquote learn you're not really learning because that's not real sex that's one thing that i want to say the second thing it all goes back to just creating a safe and open space to talk about sex with your child mm-hmm. And asking questions is the best way to be able to experience this. I know that it's really easy to get into like this lecture mode with your child because it's your child. But what I would recommend is asking open-ended questions. So do you have a crush on anyone? Do you... My wife does that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a crush on anyone? Kids at school talk about sex. How do you feel about it? Is that something you're curious about? What are your thoughts on sex? Do you have any questions for me, right? Like having open-ended conversations where you're allowing an engagement is really awesome because then it allows the child to lead the conversation. I mean, because you might start talking about something and they're like, oh my God, that's not what's happening, right? Or you could be like, hey, like, how do you feel about sex? And they could be like, well, I actually have a crush on this person. And, mm-hmm. you know, they told me they want to kiss me. And now you're having a conversation. Oh, how do you feel about that? Okay, well... 
do you think you're going to do it? You know, and even just having that space, it teaches the child, oh, I can talk about this with my parent and I can ask questions and it's safe. Again, you're empowering the child. If someone has a roadblock Mm -hmm. in their head about their identity or just their understanding of their body, like what are some of the things that you do that you, in your practice that helps them get past that roadblock so they can basically move on to the next step? Mm, That's a great question. It really comes down to this, just creating that safe space and asking open-ended questions. When I work with my clients, I ask them a question, what's going on? They'll start talking. Tell me more about that. Why is that? Why do you feel that way? A lot of whys in there. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Tell me more. Tell me more. I want to know more. Because when we have that roadblock, Mm -hmm. we get to, so maybe like our thought process is, oh, I really like this. Oh, but that's shameful. Oh, I really like this. Oh, but I feel bad about it. Right. But if we keep asking those questions, why do you like that? Oh, because of this and that. And how does that make you feel? Oh, it makes me feel really great. And why does it make you feel great? Asking those questions, which is what I do with my clients, allows them to just let their thoughts go wild and be able to talk about things that they've always felt so scared to talk about. Right. To normalize it. I think that the key word there is to normalize it for them. Mm -hmm. Any obstructions or things that are really difficult to overcome and what you've seen so far in the people that you've worked with? Yes. The biggest thing that is difficult to overcome is how people see the world. That will literally break down all of your progress. Right. If you think the world is scary, if you think the world is violent and horrible, evil, it is very, very, very difficult to break down that shame, that guilt, that fear, and that anxiety that people feel around sexuality. I think that's the hardest one. Okay. Last question. And this is, this is the toughest one. You have the final word. So what would you like to leave everyone on? I love that. A few months ago, my mom almost died of pneumonia. Mm -hmm. She got rushed to the hospital and it was the first time that I thought that I was going to lose someone very close to me. I thought that I was going to lose my mom And that experience just really drilled into my head that we only have one life to live, that we're only on this world for so long. If you're out there and you have some things related to your body and sexuality that make you feel ashamed, that make you feel anxious, that make you feel guilty, now is the time to work on the healing process. There are people in this world that want to help you. You are worthy. I would just say be patient, be gentle, and be kind to yourself. This process is not going to work if you're not compassionate towards yourself. So, yeah, I can actually see the passion in your eyes when you're actually saying that. And I, I think it also extends past our topic point as well, just in general with any kind of tolerance and acceptance and et cetera. So, that's yeah. great. That's great. Thank you so yeah. much for this opportunity, Scott. I had a lot of fun. And um, I appreciate it. And I also just want to wish you the best on your, I want, I call it like a spiritual journey because I know you're learning about frequency and all of that. And if you ever have questions, let me know. Jocelyn, thank you so much. I really do appreciate all your time putting into this. Absolutely. I hope someone learned from this podcast from a parental standpoint, from a personal standpoint. If you do have shame, you lose it and that you lose it quickly without even looking back. Jocelyn, it was amazing to have you on. The topic point needs to be discussed more. I liked your approach on so many different levels. It really was amazing. 
this is uh, Scott Burgess. I am your host for Healthcare 360. Thank you for joining as always. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thanks, Scott. That was cool. Thank you so much for doing that. It was pretty easy, huh? So much fun. Oh, man. I really, I, I honestly just felt like I was hanging out with someone. Thank you for listening to Healthcare 360 episode number 28 with dating and intimacy coach Jocelyn Silva. I appreciate her time and effort in teaching us, and I hope this conversation keeps going as it is a much-needed conversation to have with so many. Again, you can find Jocelyn at jocelynsilva.com. That's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-S-I-L-V-A.com. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at HT360Podcast or Healthcare360Podcast.com. If you'd like to have a conversation or discuss a topic option on Healthcare360, please look for the calendar link in the podcast notes below and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates the HT360 Nation's best and brightest, and I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess, and from all of us with the Healthcare360 team, Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.